Today's guest, Gabriele Fanta, Chief Human Resource Officer of Kerber, a 13,000 employees business. My understanding is that corporate culture is the decisive point, like a corporate currency, both for internal people, but also for the labor market outside and candidates. So um, we have been working in the pandemic lots with our leadership team. We set up new leadership principles because so much changed for them. You know, you had a hybrid workforce. You have been locked away in your home. Yeah, you've had challenges, also maybe technical challenges, you know, reaching people, not reaching people. And also how to um, distinguish work and life, maybe. Yeah. So there have been a couple of reasons to attack the leadership principles. And since then, we have been developing a plan from diagnostics and assessments, both internal and external ones, then developing the leaders across their levels. We have the so-called leadership camps for that. That's kind of learning journeys, so pretty modern approach, not like, you know, classroom curriculum, but lots of peer engagement lots of sessions and pretty flexible to adapt to the respective group, which is in that camp. And lastly, um, we also now pursue the approach of a Kerberwald culture framework, and that's our current status. So when we come back to the leaders, um, we have one of our principles is we enable and empower. And as a leader, you should be aware and should pursue that since it's only one leadership principle out of five. So it's really important that you enable and empower people. And this means also thinking in ecosystems, someone might move on to another department, to another business area, and is staying and developing with Kerber. There we talked about the complexity in planning and simple things like hiring, internal mobility, and how you can leverage that. Then also the leadership principles of Kerber, because it's actually an very it comes from a very entrepreneurial spirit and we talked about how she and the business um, values certain principles to keep that spirit um, living and also her perspectives on ai and they are um, training their own models already having their own ai teams and focus groups so um, interesting episode then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and, and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain situations. It's very, 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 very hard to change things. That was the learning. Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side. Hi, Gabriele. It's really nice that we finally have a chance to talk to each other. Yeah, also likewise. Happy to talk to you today. Yes, and I think we got introduced by um, Christian, who is in um, the legal team of Kerber and previously worked with me together. I think it was at Tier. And then um, when back then when I launched the podcast, he told me, hey, Thomas, you have to talk to Gabriele. And now here we are. I'm so happy. <laughs> Can <laughs> How we kind is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So maybe we start a bit um, with, with context on yourself and your background and maybe what shaped you most. Okay. Excellent. So first of all, um, I think I have a rather untypical career for my age and the moment in time I am now in. I mean, I was starting with business administration studies back in the 90s, so a long time ago. Funny enough, one of my thesis topics was how um, remote working can increase performance, but remote working 90s style, you know, with um, telex and, you know, other means of communication than today's. And this is significant because I started in marketing. That's what I was doing kind of five years, then moved on to corporate communications, crisis communications, and then uh, changing a couple of, yeah, well, industries and also companies later. 
um, I was convinced by my former boss to step back into NHR career, <laughs> which was a side step 10 years ago. And since then, I'm completely convinced about HR topics, people management topics. And yeah, that's what's actually for me um, a very rewarding opportunity. Yeah, and I, I just when I back then looked at LinkedIn as well, you also, um, I would say, led a lot of um, HR departments or organizations. My understanding is that corporate culture is the decisive point, like a corporate currency, both for internal people, but also for the labor market outside and candidates. So um, we have been working in the pandemic lots with our leadership team. We set up new leadership principles because so much changed for them, you know. You had a hybrid workforce, you have been locked away in your home, yeah. You have had challenges, also maybe technical challenges, you know, reaching people, not reaching people, and also how to um, distinguish work and life, maybe, yeah. So there have been a couple of reasons to attack the leadership principles. And since then, we have been developing a plan from diagnostics and assessments, both internal and external ones, then developing the leaders across their levels we have the so-called leadership camps for that that's kind of learning journey so pretty modern approach not like you know classroom curriculum but lots of peer engagement lots of sessions and pretty flexible to adapt to the respective group which is in that camp and lastly um, we also now pursue the approach of a kerber wild culture framework and that's our current status so when we come back to the leaders um We have one of our principles is we enable and empower. And as a leader, you should be aware and should pursue that since it's only one leadership principle out of five. So it's really important that you enable and empower people. And this means also seeking ecosystems. Someone might move on to another department, to another business area, and is staying and developing with Kerber of a company. So that's a very important topic, usually also when it comes to numbers. If you have organizations like maybe McDonald's, The HR part also, of course, is huge, right? Because there's maybe not too much learning and development um, exercises you can um, foster because people change that quickly, you know. Shop floor activities, sometimes turnover rates are kind of significantly high. Where in other um, companies like Kerber, you have to rely on people staying for a very long period of time with you since we need really best research and development solutions, best technology solutions. So you have to just maybe reframe it a bit different yeah and so it depends on the business you're working in sometimes also in the context of the country like is there workforce available or not in let's say european countries like the netherlands germany i mean also the uk the workforce is kind of limited by birth rates of the past so um the way of people looking at work and the level of wealth people may have It's different um, and you have to differently attack them when it comes to recruiting, right? I mean, if you have more options, you may be a bit more, yeah, challenging as a candidate. Yeah, the more, re the more options you are having, yeah, the more challenges you can uh, put on the employer. And also when it comes to retaining people and developing people, that's another different story in countries where maybe there's not too much choice. Yeah, and if you take now Germany as one market, I mean, very often you can only active search for people on social media profiles because people are so spoiled. You know, if you're a software developer, I mean, why should you hand in an application? That's what you 
do not have to do, you know, because you're always approached by companies who want to hire you. So there's a big choice. And when you're not happy with your current employment, you easily change. You just go to the next one. And that's um, not as risky in companies where you have just unemployment, yeah, higher numbers of unemployment or just a huge population of skilled workers like maybe in India. Hmm. And I think you at Kerber currently have more than 13,000 employees when you um, yeah. combine the whole workforce. Um, do you also differentiate there between um, white collar, blue collar, different sectors, um, different countries? Um, is that how you look at the organization in terms of structuring it in into a headcount plan or into a um, staffing plan overall? Or how, how do you, you approach mm -hmm. um, planning in that size? Mm -hmm. So the planning in that size um, is complex since we have more than 100 locations worldwide. And these are also kind of different since we have several business areas we operate in. That means the businesses are different. And also when it comes to countries, frames are heavily important, like, you know, labor law. I mean, as you know, Christian is working in labor law. <laughs> so um, labor law is kind of different also when you take even EU countries, right? So you have to, first of all, adapt to the local compliance with these laws, regulations, and the local labor market. That's the individual piece of it. Or if you take Germany and co-determination, works council, etc., there's not too many international companies outside Europe which have that strong co-determination um, piece. So that's also what you have to take care about. When it comes to how to approach candidates, we have a unified recruiting approach across all countries and entities we operate kind of centralized. People may sit locally, but the procedures are similar. When it comes to development, the procedures are similar. Mm. When it comes to grading of leadership positions, it's also similar. So wherever we can align on certain processes as a standard, we do. Wherever we have to have a variety, we let the company decide and let the entity go. And when you now look into... Um the whole staffing aspect, do you also have a split in mind where you know, okay, this is the proportion of people that I can develop internally and um, this is the proportion of people that might leave due to, um, they're just going into retirement or um, sick leave because, I don't know, it, it happens on a certain percentage and then some get pregnant or go into um, other ways of just having a longer break. And um, also new staffing needs. How do you approach that by, by country? Because this is, I think, something mm -hmm. what is highly relevant, especially in the current, um, I would say, season, because a lot of companies start budgeting again from September to December. Um, so maybe there is also a bit of food of thought um, on, on how you approach it at that size and complexity. Mm -hmm. So first of all, you relate to strategic workforce management, right? So how to have data to kind of forecast and um, the development of certain employee populations at the location. I mean, we have a systems landscape we are using and we try to unify it as far as we can. Surely there's um, limiting things like data regulations you locally have or, you know, um, regulation when it comes to which um tools you can lose like China, you know, there's a couple of restrictions in some areas of the world. We have to take different system landscapes. Wherever we have it, we try to align on it. We have a global process on talent development. This is super helpful, both when it comes to subject matter expertise and also leadership potentials. In the end, I have to admit that very often 
the decisive point is that a person wants to progress or not. You know, sometimes you have a big potential, a person has a great potential, but then just circumstances are not right to move on to the next hierarchical or next step in your career, right? So you cannot plan for it at all, I'd say, when it comes to the point of individual developments. In case you like my show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And do you also have an internal mobility program where you can also do this proactively when you say, hey, now I want to work, for instance, in China for a year or so? Can you also, is there a chance to do so? Yes, we have a global mobility team and also all jobs are accessible to all people. So you can oh. see where vacancies appear, you know, so you can also actively apply for it. And actually, this has also been pursued by a couple of people. I have one colleague, she was working in one business area went abroad and returned into a complete other business area. And this is what's happening, you know. So we try to keep a bit of head time when people return from an expert assignment, that we find the right position and spot, also from a development perspective. Sometimes it's working very well, like with my colleague. Sometimes it's not working very well because also there, you know, sometimes the opportunity which is offered by the company does not any longer fit your personal plans. Maybe mm. if you have a family or if you got divorced, whatever, you know, sometimes you just cannot as a company cater for the whole private circumstances of the employee. Uh, definitely. And I think it's also true for relationships in general. <laughs> and I remember um, when we supported several companies that go uh, went through a stage of, I think, 500 people to 2,000, 1,500 people. I saw that the whole internal mobility or internal recruitment piece or always got way more relevant. And sometimes it got really frustrating for people that just got hired um, into the company that they get, for instance, um, the opportunity to um, a role that maybe somebody internally would like to have but never really knows about because I think when you just ramp up, you always think bias to say, I need to hire everything external and add it to the organization. Can you maybe share some learnings um, on how you think a good internal recruitment process or also a process to approve a role um, should or could look like? Mm. So first of all, I think transparency is key. Um, if you're co-determined, transparency is already there because it's, you know, It, it's in the hands also of co-determination to fill in positions. It's a good thing. I think it's more difficult for startups if you do not have a works council or if you're not co-determined, the planning is maybe um, worse yeah, because you're not into that schemes yet you have to align on those plans. And that's maybe a prerequisite to have data and a good process to proceed like this. To me, development and being aware of the skills, the potential and the willingness to develop That's another thing. That's then also data, right, on an individual basis. And then which skills or future skills a person needs to fill another role, that's then the, well, the best way yeah, to fill a position. An ability of the person to develop into a role, the skills which are required, um, the potential to develop these skills, and then you have the perfect fit. I think frustration comes very often from non-transparency of vacancies inside a company, of not known procedures and processes, how to apply, whom to speak to, and then maybe getting frustrated about seeing that someone from the external market is coming to fill that role. I have to say, I want to be transparent also with Kerber. So if you look at the external job board, that's kind of the internal job board as well. So um, if you think you can move on, 
you can easily get into these job boards and just look these jobs through. And how do you create a space, for instance, that somebody is maybe then getting not, I don't know, scared about, okay, um, I when I apply now, maybe my manager figures it out, um, but I don't want to share it yet because when I get rejected, then maybe he or she thinks that I don't want to work in that role anymore mm -hmm. and that it can be ha having negative impact for me. This is also a problem, I think. How, how would you approach that? I think that's a cultural point. You know, my understanding is that corporate culture is the decisive point, like a corporate currency, both for internal people, but also for the labor market outside and candidates. So um, we have been working in the pandemic lots with our leadership team. We set up new leadership principles because so much changed for them. You know, you had a hybrid workforce. You have been locked away in your home. Yeah. You have had challenges, also maybe technical challenges, you know, reaching people, not reaching people, and also how to um, distinguish work and life, maybe. Yeah. So there have been a couple of reasons to attack the leadership principles. And since then, we have been developing a plan from diagnostics and assessments, both internal and external ones, then developing the leaders across their levels. We have the so-called leadership camps for that. That's kind of learning journey, so pretty modern approach, not like, you know, classroom curriculum, but lots of peer engagement, lots of sessions and pretty flexible to adapt to the respective group, which is in that camp. And lastly, um, we also now pursue the approach of a Kerberwald culture framework, and that's our current status. So when we come back to the leaders, um, we have one of our principles is we enable and empower. And as a leader, you should be aware and should pursue that since it's only one leadership principle out of five. So it's really important that you enable and empower people. And this means also seeking ecosystems. Someone might move on to another department, to another business area, and is staying and developing with Kerber. So that's our philosophy around this. Yeah, totally makes sense. And it also needs a bit of confidence and I think a, a certain level of trust um, that this can um, work yeah, out. That's another you leadership principle. We demonstrate trust. So that's also applicable from the people-to-people -people perspective. So we think that trust means if someone is capable of doing a job or a task, yeah, that we trust the person. We're not so much into controlling it. We just look at results. And that's also a pretty modern approach on yeah, that perspective, how to give people trust to grow. And uh, what are the other leadership principles then? From our founder, Kota Kerber, the first leadership principle is, is we are entrepreneurs and we want to engage people to the point that they act um, entrepreneurial in their field of responsibility. And if you think about, well, a payroll person, and if you think, oh, how could that payroll person, how is this person being able to execute entrepreneurship in your own field of responsibility? I mean, they can, you know, think about sustainability. Wherever someone can look for processes which are more efficient, which are maybe more paperless and so on and so forth. That's also entrepreneurial in their own field of responsibility. So that's one principle. We achieve results is another one because also our founder was pretty creative. He had more than 200 patents. So really an IP hero, yeah, and not only related to the business, he was just um, doing R&D for several different things, yeah. I think his first patent was the scale you have in old radios, you know, how to align um, and find the right spot, you know, the right program. This is one of his first, I think, um, patents he was wow. holding. And there were other patents like, you know, with banks and so on. So he did not only invent for the sake of, yeah, 
bringing the company ahead and earning more, but just also out of curiosity. So achieving results, another one, achieve results, be entrepreneurial, achieve results. And another important principle to us, aside from enable and empower and we demonstrate trust is we celebrate diverse perspectives. For a company which is dependent on technologies and technology leadership, yeah, it makes sense that we do not only limit diversity to gender and other topics which may people just think of, you know, it's also the diversity of opinions, the diversity of origin, the diversity of minds, and maybe also hearts, intercultural diversity. So it means a lot to us to really celebrate diverse perspectives across all diversity items you can think of. Um, that's, I think, also important, yeah. And also adds up to the entrepreneurial piece maybe a bit and also to the curiosity piece. Um, there, I also have prepared a question. So the whole consolidation of 50 individual brands or um, just making one umbrella brand, um, I think since autumn 2022, how did that influence also um, the cultural diversity and also the development of Kerber in the past year now? So we started actually end of 2020 and beginning of 2021. Um, so it's, it has been accomplished by autumn 2022. So then all um, different brands, um, more than 40 brands have been under the Kerber umbrella. And um, when we just um, worked on that leadership principles in our own culture, what we always do, reaching out as broad as we can, taking all businesses into account, yeah, take the influence out of geographies so that we come to a point where we have a really inclusive result. Leadership principles have been worked out that way. And now with the culture piece, we started actually with co-determination and works council people, right? That's how we started. And we closed down the culture approach project by having a workshop with the board and the heads of the business areas. So we did it kind of the other way around, not like many companies do. Oh, there's a great program on culture. The board approves it and then we roll it out. No, usually we do bottom line exercises to ensure that we do not lose cultural items, pieces or thoughts, which we endanger if we do it top downish. And why did you consolidate 50 brands? Because the customer and the market demand was there. It's not a consolidation when it comes to you know, reducing people. It's about actually also ecosystems. If you take pharma and supply chain, a lot of products we offer can be combined in one production hall of the customer. It does not make sense that people of different brand names appear at the booth, you know, if there's a trade fair. And it does also not make sense that the guy who's doing maybe the sorter is coming one day. Then the guy who's coming providing inspection machine is coming the next day. And then the software folk is coming the third day. That does not make sense at all. So also to think in ecosystems, to have better partnering options and for the customer to be more unified. Yeah. And how did you then identify which customer perspectives you want to um, take into consideration or also maybe prioritize? Because I think you're selling to a variety of different archetypes of customers. I think that's a pretty complicated process. I think the complicated process is that it's really several business areas. You have pharma, you have technologies, you have supply chain, you have digital. So that's that's a broad variety already. You know, it's pretty heterogeneous. When it comes to solutions, then in the end, sometimes the solution is very close to 
the next you know business area like supply chain if you take sorting if you take tracking if you take warehousing if you take software for warehousing if you take your order at an online shop yeah that's then in the end pretty close to things which happen also when it comes to tracking and inspection in pharma if you take vaccines or very important medication yeah then it makes sense that also these are tracked Because medicine, your order, your post and parcel order, I mean, there are similarities in technologies. So we have the ecosystem thinking both back-endish when it comes to technology, but also for the customers, you know, using best technology options for them. Yeah, it totally makes sense. <laughs> in case you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me, please send me an email on thomas at peoplewise.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. And in case you really enjoy the show, Please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. And what 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 was your role in that whole process? Actually, my role in HR, we worked on that piece, that accompanying piece on, let's say, change management when it comes to leadership and culture and also systems and processes, right? Aligning systems mm -hmm. and processes and also advertising for that one approach. So our team is called One Curve HR. It's a broad group of people, um, 200 across the globe. And we call ourselves One Kerber HR. And we have the same for, let's say, IT. You know, even though we do not have a business name or a brand name because we have not been a separate entity, we act in the understanding of one. And that's what we pursue in our programs, in the culture project, and also when we come to leadership development. And how did that um, change process also um, led to maybe a new or transformed vision? Or did, did that not change in the past was it just necessary to get closer to the overall goals did, did that also um, change in the past or, or how are um, how is the vision and mission impacting um, the whole change process so the process so well market leadership to technology leadership stays the same right that's the ambition level we're having for people we are the home for entrepreneurs that's what we want to do we want to give entrepreneurs of kind of every kind and home And um, what has been changing is that maybe ecosystem thinking. We now act as ecosystem thing internally, but also when it comes to markets. We have solutions in place in the field of software and data, which can compromise even competitors' products, you know, underneath. We are open to corporations. And that's maybe a unique and special thing. And that's where a strong brand can help. to so getting into those corporations easier And this kind of a promise also to the customer or to the ecosystem partners. And what have been the, the top challenges that you um, had in that time? Um, or well, the identity, or, you know, if you work with a company for 30 years and the brand name was a different name and maybe also the coloring of the brand. And then what's in for me, right? The former name was A and now the name is Kerber. I mean, what's in for me? And there was a huge change process and our group communications department has done a tremendous job in just um, enabling people to act as brand ambassadors. That's a very successful program up until today. So people coming into Kerber are super excited, you know, because becoming a brand ambassador, even you may be an engineer, it's pretty exciting, you know. You get to learn lots about the brand, about processes. You see a lot beyond your own scope of responsibility, and that's what people like. And we also have a great tool now since 2021. That's where it has been starting. It's the Kerber Experience. It's a virtual tool. You can walk through once, so to speak, the past, 
the present and a glimpse into our future when it comes to technologies. You can walk through it in a virtual world, also through the sites. You can see the machines, the software products. And that's, I think, also pretty convincing that we're very open and transparent also to the outside public, what we can offer and what technologies we develop also from now for tomorrow. Yes, and, and maybe also when you touch base technology. So I think the whole AI movement is currently um, pretty strong in discussion. And I would be curious about your opinion um, on how it might impact um, how we work in the future. Personally, there's already a lot of enhancement through algorithm and, you know, just help. If you take uh, maybe your smartphone, you know, when you just type messages, um, your smartphone will fill in words, right? So we already used to little helping hands, bits and pieces here and there. Or when you see the version of text document software from Microsoft, how this has been evolving over time, it's tremendous. Or if you take chat GPT, you know, so people which may do want to do an internal speech can get help out of these tools. And so that's what I like, yeah, that you can just augment yourself to the really critical points and let maybe programs do what they can support you with. That's what I like about it. And could that also get relevant for you that um, you maybe internally have an own maybe AI pl platform or um, unit or ecosystem that yeah, is we have leveraging? Already, we have already a complete entity which only do AI stuff, not only for Kerber, but also for external companies. Yeah, so we have already one in the business area digital. And when it comes to internal use of AI, we are super lucky that we can collaborate with these folks, right? And we have ventures also built around it when it comes to, as I said previously, how to determine if there's bulbs into a medication which has freshly been filled, yeah? Or if it's... Um, Material, which should not be there, because if you do an injection, it's surely not helpful if you get injected with something which should not be in that medication, right? So that's what already is in use internally and also with our customers. Mm -hmm. And in terms of productivity, do you already have some AI hacks or um, some yeah. things you perceive? Also already in place, a venture which is called Factory Pal is optimizing the overall equipment effectiveness. It's also a product which we sell to our customers. Oh. Yeah. Sounds exciting. Yeah, that's exciting, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the beauty of, you know, ecosystems. I think you could, can develop and also implement things much quicker. I, I totally agree. And I think that's also the advantage of your size um, because maybe sometimes it's it's tough when you need to go to a turnaround or to a change that it's just complex, takes longer, but um, you can also make use of, of the scale you have, right? So <laughs> why yeah. not taking advantage of it? Yeah, it's it's not only the scale. I think it's, again, back to culture. I think that entrepreneurs think we are all entrepreneurs, that self-understanding of even me being an HR person, that I can be entrepreneurial, you know, yeah. that's great. Or take an IT person, you know, they can also act as entrepreneurs. So every person working with us should have the understanding that they can invent and participate into ideation and creation of new products. So that's what already is happening. We have a broad ideation process kind of steered by a digital business area and people can, let's say, sneak into it by teams and follow these conversations or contribute. And that's also nice, you know, we open that up to also weirdo ideas like gamification stuff, things which are completely aside from business. And that's where 
the DNA of our founder is being carried forward. I, I will keep it as it is because it's really a nice final words. But I always ask is, do you know somebody who you know, but I don't know yet um, what I should interview next as a guest? Oh, there's plenty of people. I can strongly recommend uh, Natalie Perez-Sivas. Um, she was actually one of my co-workers a couple of years ago, working in recruiting as a recruiter. And she's now pretty much involved into diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff. That's what I love. And one of my favorite people I follow because I have to also improve my understanding of diversity is Gazelle. This is a corporate influencer or was a corporate influencer. I think she was also a recruiter and is now um, well moving and evolving into comedy, educating on trans. That's what I like about her. She's pretty ah, entertaining Idealo. and fun with that really serious topic. I think it's from Idealo, right? Or it originated there, could it be? Yeah. yeah um, if you have contact to somebody and uh, and if you think they can, um, they would like to participate in an episode, I'm, I'm happy for an introduction. Otherwise, I can also just reach out. Yeah, I will send these through LinkedIn to you. Cool. Um, thanks, Gabriel. It was a pleasure. And thank you for thank your you. time. And um, enjoy. Yeah, thank you. Bye.